0: Welcome. This is Perspective for Parents. My name is Nick Thompson, and this is a podcast for parents of adolescents. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. When planning for and having difficult conversations with your child, I believe it's important to have one topic, one positive request and to focus on the I way more than the you. And I'll explain each one of these a bit more. And by the way, this just isn't about having conversations with your child. These three things mentioned relate to all relationships that you care about. At least all the relationships you care enough about to have difficult conversations. Okay, back to having a difficult conversation specifically with your child. Before you can utilize the three things that I'm going to share, you must ask yourself a few questions. Firstly, are you truly wanting to have a conversation? Or are you just looking to communicate expectations or looking to vent? If you need to vent, don't do it with your kid. If you need to communicate expectations, a text or an email will do. Conversations include and require listening Empathy, building that rapport, and having compromise. And they're usually best done in person. They really don't need to be in person if you're just telling them what you need from them or what you're demanding of them. So that's first, has to be first. Are you actually wanting to have a conversation? If the answer is yes, the second question to ask yourself is this Are you in a place where you are able to have a conversation? A difficult conversation. Are you calm enough? Calm enough to truly listen to your child? Now, if the driving factor for having the conversation is because of a strong emotion that you're currently feeling, maybe that emotion is fear, anger, sadness, or frustration, then now might not be the time. And a postponement may be needed until you can get yourself into a level of calm a level that is required for difficult conversations? The thing is, difficult conversations have a way of bringing up or amplifying strong emotions. So if you think about it, if you're starting that conversation from a place of high emotional reactivity, well then, that conversation is likely to turn into a blowout real quick. So if you answered yes to both of those first questions, that yes— You're wanting to have a conversation. And yes, you're calm enough to have one. Well then, these three tips are for you. Okay, first, one topic. Plan for and focus on discussing one topic. I like to call this the uh, one and done. Parents need to be addressing one thing at a time. Meaning addressing only one thing per conversation. When you look at it, when when you think about it, It's almost as if in all relationships, we're keeping a tally, a list, a list of things that bother us and therefore the things that the other person needs to fix or change. And when the number of things on that list surpasses some threshold, like maybe the entire first page of a notebook is full, it's then and only then that we decide it's time. It's time to bring these things up. It's time to have a conversation. Now, good news. By focusing solely on one topic, the likelihood of having a productive conversation is increased significantly. Defensiveness goes up when anyone, especially adolescents, are peppered with a list of things, a plethora of pointers. I like to say that an excess in expectations will result in the eager exit of your child. It's all about keeping defensiveness down. Everything I'm going to mention in this episode is about that. Bringing up more than one thing, more than one conflict, one issue or behavior. It's overwhelming. It also allows the other person to steer the conversation into the topic or issue where they feel they have the best defense. And once there... It's difficult or impossible to get back to the other things that you wanted to focus on. So please choose one. And you may be sitting there saying, there's so many. Well then, if there's so many, this is an opportunity to work on prioritizing, which is one of those exercises that we're frequently asking our youth to do to get better at. So which topic, which behavior or issue Is the most important to address now. In helping you to decide this, I like to use a Venn diagram. Circle A consists of the things that would have the most positive impact on your child's life if they were able to change it or improve it. And Circle B consists of the topics or behaviors that your child would be most open to working on. In that intersection, that beautiful intersection, Of circle A and B. Pick one. One and done. Okay, here's the second tip on having a difficult conversation with your child. Focus on the I. Now, this may be confusing, because you're probably sitting there thinking, I'm actually trying to bring up something that they need to change. And yes, this is true. And it is also true that the likelihood of they listening... And they being open to a conversation, well, this is greatly improved by focusing on the I. What I mean by this, it is so important to use I statements. I know, I know, I know, I know. You've probably heard this part before, and it may have a very uh, couples counseling feel to it. Or you might think it's cliche. Remember, though, cliches are often cliches because they are true and because they work. Yes, I-statements work. The main reason they work is because they are helpful in keeping defensiveness down. It's just a fact. Defensiveness derails difficult conversations. I-statements are one of the foundational pieces of assertive communication. We all want to be communicating assertively in all of our relationships. Not just the relationship with your child. And... Difficult conversations are a wonderful opportunity to model assertive communication for your child. Yeah, I couldn't help myself. I, couldn't. I had to mention the importance of modeling. Okay, so if you're not familiar with what I mean when I say I statements, here's an example of one I felt frustrated when you took the car without asking last week. Or I felt anxious when you didn't call at the agreed upon Check-in time. Those were I statements. Now, when I statements are discussed, they're usually talked about in terms of just talking about your feelings. So saying things like, I felt or I feel. But I statements can be used with all types of communication, not just when discussing your feelings. For example, I think, I believe, I see, I want. And you could also use my, which is like I, saying things like my experience of that night was, or my concern is, my frustration has been about. So whether it's I or my, just know that these statements work. Now, even though the difficult conversation may be centered around an issue or behavior of your child's, By using I-statements, you're more likely to get to that issue or behavior by taking responsibility for being accountable for what you are feeling, thinking, or believing. That's what I-statements do. And you can't discuss I-statements without mentioning their unhelpful brother, the you-statement. These things do the opposite of taking responsibility. Of encouraging dialogue and keeping defensiveness down. You statements invite defensiveness because they accuse, they criticize, they blame the other. And not just that, they put the onus of responsibility solely on your child. And when you use you statements with your child, well, that communicates to your child that they are solely responsible for you, the parent not being okay. They are responsible entirely for the emotion that you're feeling. And not just that, the child is then responsible for fixing that, aka removing negative emotion and making you feel better. And here's another thing about you statements. They're usually followed by always or never. You never take out the trash. You are always on your phone. Always and never are something called absolutes. Now, you statements aren't helpful on their own. But when you add, when you sprinkle in a little absolute, you are asking for a debate or a disagreement that is so likely to turn into a fight. A uh, parental, you never take out the trash is likely to be responded with a, well, that's not true. I took out the trash last week sometime from your child. Using absolutes will usually result into a deep dive by both parties, diving into their subjective memories of a past that is disagreed on. Good luck with that. And another problem with these absolutes, statements like you never and you always well, the problem is, they are rarely true. See what I did there? I didn't say that they're never true, because that would be, I guess, yeah, it would be using an absolute to describe an absolute, which I think is inaccurate, right? Okay, and another thing about the, uh, uh, the I statements. Don't try to get sneaky by thinking you're giving an I statement when it's really a you statement with a prefix of I feel. Maybe asking, well, what would that look like? Okay, story time. I used to work at this high school, and one of the roles that I had at the the high school was to facilitate mediations between students that had conflict with one another. It was my job to squash the beef. I don't think anybody's saying that anymore. But when I acted as a mediator prior to starting, I would go through the expectations of the mediation. Things like, remain seated, watch your tone, let the other person finish. And yeah, we must use I statements. Some of the time, most of the time, both parties would agree. And then we'd start. And this is where sometimes I'd get a you statement disguised as an I statement. I remember this one time. It was classic. We we're sitting there in my office. Everything was agreed upon, and it was the first person's turn to speak. He looked at me, looked at the other guy, and said, "I feel that you're a effing bleep, and you need to stay the f away from my girl." He didn't say uh, f or bleep. You probably figured that. So that is not an I statement. So remember, starting with I feel you or I feel that you, those aren't I statements. And while we're here on I statements, we might as well walk through the other parts of assertive communication. Quick. All right, so there are three parts of the I statement process in assertive communication. Step one starts with I feel. Step two starts with When or because. And step three starts with I need or I want. Breaking that down a bit further. Step one, I feel blank. The blank is an emotion. That's where you put an emotion in there. Step two, which starts with when or because, this is where you describe the behavior or actions that have made you feel the emotion shared in step one. Important note, it's essential that the behavior or action is the thing being addressed, not the person. This isn't criticizing the person. You are addressing one, remember one and done, one specific behavior or action. And step three, which begins with I need or I want. This is the step where you make a specific request about a specific behavior that you want or that you need to see moving forward. And notice I said specific. Asking someone to be better or do better or that they need to step up, or they need to change, they need to knock it off. Those things are not specific. We have to be specific about the particular behavior or action that we are requesting. To make some more sense of all this, let's do a little exercise in turning a you statement into an I statement. Okay, let's use this situation. Parent goes into their child's room, sees a messy room, notices a cereal bowl. It's been there since yesterday. It's a cereal bowl that, that, that really takes them. Okay, so a parental you statement that may have been shared a time or two in situations like this could sound something like this. You are so incredibly lazy. I do everything around this house. You never, you never clean up after yourself. And you know what? If things don't start to change around here, that little phone of yours is going bye-bye. Okay, let's take a quick look at that statement. So yeah, first thing, it starts with you. That you is then followed by criticizing the person. That was the, uh, you are so incredibly lazy part. Next, we have two absolutes that aren't very specific. That was the, uh, I do everything and you never clean up after yourself. Which was then followed by a vague attempt at a request that really isn't. A request that was, the things don't start to change around here. And that little ditty was topped off with a somewhat unspecific threat. Remember, that was the, uh, that little phone of yours is going bye-bye. Okay, so let's turn that you statement into an I statement. Again, that statement was, I won't do all the, the dramatic... Theatrics again. You are so incredibly lazy. I do everything around this house. You never clean up after yourself. And you know what? If things don't start to change around here, that little phone of yours is going bye-bye. So let's now remember the three steps of an assertive I statement. So in doing that, it might sound something like this. I feel frustrated and disrespected when you leave your cereal bowl in your room. And I end up having to take it down later. I really need you to start bringing your cereal bowl down and placing it in the kitchen sink when you're done using it. So looking at that, we had the I statement. Then we had the description of a specific behavior that caused the emotion. And finally, we made a specific request about a behavior using I need. I really hope you can hear the difference between the you and the I versions of those requests. So there you go. Remember, step one, I feel. Step two, when or because. And step three, I need or I want. It actually really works. Even if you're going through the steps in your head, if you're using that as a framework when communicating to somebody, those steps work. The main way they work, they work to lower defensiveness. And in looking at that exercise, within it, it it sort of includes the third tip that I'll be sharing for having difficult conversations. And that tip is provide a positive request or expectation. What do I mean by that? It means that you are requesting a do and not a don't. You are sharing with your child the specific behavior that you want or that you need to see. To make sense of this, looking at the opposite, providing a negative request would be telling them what you don't want to happen or what you need them to stop doing. Negative requests such as don'ts and stops just aren't that helpful. They raise defensiveness. And they don't do a very good job of specifying what the desired behavior is. Stop watching Netflix is a negative request. Maybe sounds more like a demand. But instead of saying that, you could provide a positive request of, Could you please set the table for dinner? We will be eating in 10 minutes. So earlier, when I was breaking down those three steps of the I statement request, We really want the third step, which is the request, to be providing a positive behavior or action. It is what we want or need to see, as opposed to what we want or need to stop. So there you have it. Those are three of my main tips for having difficult conversations with your child. I'm confident each one of these will help to lower defensiveness. And keep things productive. It's so important as parents to be aware of your presence and be willing to look at and change the words that you use during difficult conversations. I think you'll be surprised. If you change the words, you'll change the relationship. To close up, remember pick and prepare to discuss one topic. That's the one and done. Second, focus on using I-statements. And finally, make sure the request provided is a positive one. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. If you would like to find more information about this podcast or my upcoming presentations, please check out my website, perspectiveforparents.com. Spelled out, that's perspective, the number four, parents.com. Thanks again.